0: Good morning. I said good morning. That's better. Hey, I am speaking to you by video because I am speaking live for the first time in our third community, One Chapel Lake Travis. And so I give my greetings to those of you in Austin and Kyle. Uh, I'm really excited to launch a brand new series called Love Where You Live. If you've been around here any length of time, last fall we we launched uh, this initiative within our church called Love Where You Live, and we're revisiting that idea because it's more than a message series. It's really uh, a movement of over 300 churches within our city, and uh, 300 churches talking about this idea that Jesus gave us. The great commandment. He said, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself and if we could live that out what might happen in our city and so if you have your bibles today i want you to turn to genesis chapter 12 and we're going to read the first three verses there genesis 12 of course you can follow along in your message notes and if you don't have one the ushers will get you one so let's pray father thank you so much for your guidance, for your direction. Lord, we look into your word for the wisdom that you have for us. Lord, would you give us revelation today as we read it and then give us grace to obey. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm talking today about the ride of your life. I want to talk to you about the adventure of following Jesus and this is a, a really an important idea that we see in the scriptures over and over and over again, living an adventure of faith with God. And it starts really from the very beginning. Genesis 12 is the story of Abraham. And let's read it here in verse 1. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I want you to notice here that God gave Abraham a promise. He said he was going to bless him And he gave a reason for it. And the reason was to be a blessing to the nations of the earth, to bless all the people on the earth. This is called the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. And it is the idea that God's people, from the very beginning, are blessed to be a blessing. That's your first fill in the blanks there. Blessed to be a blessing. This is God's purpose, this is God's plan to be carried out throughout the earth by his people. And he chose Abraham, he chose this man. And he, this, this guy, we, we kind of see him as an incredible man of faith as we look at the scriptures, but it didn't start that way. He was told to go to a land that God said he would show him he didn't even know where he was going. It's an incredible adventure that God has called him to. And Abraham was scared to death. He ends up lying and, 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 and kind of acting out of fear and not treating his wife very well in the opening passages there of chapter 12, 13, and 14 in the story of Abraham. But it was an incredible adventure of faith that God had called him to. And in the same way, God has called each of us to an incredible adventure of faith. And I often wonder, in our 21st century American Christianity, are we too safe? Are we living out our faith in, a, in, a, in an environment where we, we just wanna be safe, we wanna be closed in, we're, we're not sure we wanna get out there too far, we don't wanna risk too much? I wonder if we're just living too safe, and we need to surrender to the ride of our lives that God wants to take us on. As you as you know, um, I have five kids, and and I uh, I love stories about my kids because I think they reflect uh, how God treats us, and I I think we get insight in that into that relationship and i 've told this story uh, before but i 'm going to tell it again because I think it's so it 's such an impacting idea. Uh, a few years ago, my family was on vacation in Florida, and we went to a a huge amusement park called Islands of Adventure. And we're talking about the the incredible roller coasters we're going to ride. We're talking about how much fun it's going to be. And we get there and we go past the gates and we, we head straight for the biggest, baddest roller coaster in the whole park. And it's called the Hulk. And, uh, Taylor, my second born, he was raring to go in the car. But we get in that park and we walk underneath the the huge structure, and you can hear people screaming, you know, ah! And the thing is, is shaking, and 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 we we start to go through the gates of the Hulk roller coaster, and Taylor's not there. And I look back, and about thirty yards away, he's just standing there, and he's he's like, I don't want to go. And I was like, Taylor, come on, come on. This, this is going to be fun. We were talking about how great this is going to be. It's like, I don't want to go, Dad. And so I went over and just kind of gently took my arm and put it around his shoulders and started pushing him towards the roller coaster. Please hold your judgment and evaluation of my parenting skills until the end of the story. So I'm, so I'm pushing him to the roller coaster, and I, I kind of get him to get in, and we're standing in line, and the whole way, I mean, we are talking about it, um, he wants to get out, every exit sign, his eyes are darting, can I get out, can I get out right here, and and so I, I'm just saying, Taylor, you're, you're gonna love it, it's gonna be great, and he's hes kind of arguing with me, and we stand in line for probably 20 minutes or so, and 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 the other kids are there and and he's and he's just wants to escape so badly we get up to the front of the line and we're right there and the cars are coming in you know and there, people people are arriving and then getting out on the other side and their hair is a mess and 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 he's looking at me he's like i don't want to do this and i get in and we pull that thing down over our over our shoulders and i'm sitting on one side and he's sitting on the other and i look over at him and he's got like a tear coming down right here and i'm like oh jesus please help us. Help him to enjoy this, or else I'm going to be in trouble. So we start up the hill. Ching, 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 ching. He's like, Dad, I don't want to go. I was like, it's too late. And so we're, we're going, 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 and we go through this tube, and suddenly it shoots us out, and you can't see the track. It just feels like you're flying. And we're shooting out there, and I look over as we're shooting out of that tube, and he's like this, yeah! It was incredible. He loved every minute of it. We wrote it three more times that day. And we, 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 we got out that first time, and got out of the car and walked down, and I, I went over to Taylor, and I just said, Now, Taylor, let this be a lesson to you. And the lesson is, is your dad knows what you need. Your dad knows what you like, what you're gonna enjoy, and you gotta trust me. You gotta trust me. And I think that is a perfect picture of how God treats us, of what He wants for us that he knows what the adventure holds for us, he knows what the journey needs to look like, and he wants to take us on the ride of our lives. And sometimes we're resistant, and we want to be too safe. But I'm telling you, there's an adventure for each of us waiting out there, an adventure of faith. Throughout the Bible, we see this over and over again, people accomplishing incredible things. If you think about it, from the very beginning, Joseph went from the pit to a prison and ended up in a palace to facilitate the dream that God had put in his heart. Moses went from the desert, 40 years in the desert, to being the deliverer for God's people. Gideon won a battle against thousands with only 300 men. You Think about David. David killed a giant with one small stone. Daniel escaped the lion's den. He survived a whole night with a bunch of lions. Peter ended up jumping out of the boat and walking on the water to Jesus. The Apostle Paul survived shipwrecks and prison and poison and beatings to write two-thirds of the New Testament. It was an incredible adventure of faith for these people. And I think there's a thrilling, faith-filled adventure waiting for each of us. Jesus essentially sent out his disciples in this manner. If you look at Luke chapter 10, which is, if you're following in the notes, is your next passage. Luke 10 verse five through nine says, Jesus is sending out his disciples and he's coaching them on how to, how to walk this journey out as he's sending them to villages. He says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, I want, I want to highlight something here about how Jesus coached his disciples. As he's sending them out, he seems to indicate an order by which things happen. The first thing he says is he says, speak peace to people. Be a person of peace. Have good manners. The, the message Bible says, don't impose yourself on them. I think one way to look at this is, recognize the people who you have an affinity with. Recognize the people that you seem to have a connection with. This is what we should be looking for as God's people. What is God doing? Who is he connecting us with? We're looking for those things that connect us with other people. And he, and he coaches them. He says, look, if, if you don't find the person of peace right away, it's okay. You're not going to run out of, of peace, right? Just, it's okay. Just go on to another person. Your peace will come back to you, and you'll keep walking in a way that, that honors people and allows you to connect with them. So he says, speak peace. Don't be rude. Speak peace into people's lives and see what happens. Number two, he says, he, says I want you, he essentially says, I want you to build relationships. I want you to spend time with them. I want you to eat with them. I want you to eat whatever's put before you. I want you to fellowship with them. Now, in, in Middle Eastern culture, in Jesus' day, everything would have, it, it would have moved quite slowly. There would have been a leisurely pace for dinner or, or eating together. And, and this is a skill, I think, that's learned to build relationships with people, to just know how to spend time with them. And and I think what Jesus is indicating here when he says, don't move around from house to house, um, just be with those people. I think what God's calling us to do is be awakened to the fact that we live next door to people in our neighborhoods or in our apartment buildings, and we need to be the kind of people that are speaking peace into them into their lives and we need to just be willing to to build long-term relationships long-term relationships is what jesus is talking about it doesn't happen like that it may take a while number three jesus says i want you to heal whatever sickness they have Whatever's going on in their lives, heal their sickness. Be ready at any moment to spot it, Jesus seems to be saying. The moment will come when you're going to realize how they're suffering, how, how, how the, the burden of their lives is so overwhelming to them. You're going to spot it. If you build a relationship, you're going to see it, and you're going to be able to weep with those who weep. You're going to be able to engage with them on a level of healing. And look, it's not just physical healing we're talking about. It comes in many forms. It comes in the form of comfort. It comes in the form of speaking, encouraging words. It comes sometimes just being there. This is what Jesus indicates in this journey that he's challenging his disciples to take. And then uh, number four, in the order, he says, then tell them the kingdom of God is here. He says, speak peace. He seems to say, build relationships. He says, heal them and then tell them, here's what's really happening. The kingdom of God has come to you. See, so many times we as Christians, we want to we do it in reverse order. We want to say the kingdom has come. Now let me tell you how it works. That's not the way Jesus has called his people to be. And that's not the way that we want to live within our neighborhoods. We want to become a blessing in our neighborhoods. We want to be a blessing because that's what we're called to is to bless the people around us in whatever way that we can and we, we take our time, we build relationships, we, we recognize their sickness, where they're hurting, and then when we, when we have a chance, when we get the opportunity, we explain to them this is the motivation for how we live. This is, this is what we believe about how you can be healed. We follow Jesus, and I want to tell you about him. See, we tend to think that we won't. It's tell and show, but it's make no mistake. It's show and tell. Show them first, then tell them. Don't try to tell them first, then show them. Make sure that we're willing to live out our our gospel. Live out the greatest commandment to love God with everything, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And so, there's a strategy. There is a strategy that Jesus, I think, started at the beginning with Abraham, and he summarizes it here in the next passage in Matthew twenty-two thirty-five. 35. Matthew twenty-two thirty-five. 35, here's Jesus, and he's interacting with an expert in the law, and it says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, meaning they're even, they're interactive. There are implications in both of these commandments. They both work together, and he said the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is an incredible statement by Jesus, an incredible idea that Jesus is offering here he's saying if you want to live like God intended you to live and look through all the commandments of scripture and know that you are obeying every single one of them Jesus took something he took 613 commands and boiled them down to two two just two Jesus was a genius because he made a complex problem so simple it's so easy. Just love God with everything. Give him everything in your heart. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And what I want you to consider, what I want you to consider as we go through this series is, could it be that the seeds of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, will take root within the simple act of neighboring? The simple act of just being kind to your neighbor, of being attentive of loving them. Now, there's a problem. Actually, there there's several problems with this in our culture, and uh, there, I'm going to name three of them here. The first problem you could all guess is time. We have a pro- we have a problem with, with none of us have enough time. Our lives are overscheduled. Everything that we're doing, what I what I find is in our culture we do a lot of things but none of them go very deep. And so and so we're so busy, we're so scheduled, we're working so hard and so many hours, we get home and the last thing we, we do is save some room for our neighbors. We have to build, here's the thing, if we're going to if we're going to obey the great commandment, if we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, here's what we must do. We must build margin into our lives. There must be a way for us to practice Sabbath and build margin into our schedules. Because if we're always pushing it to the limit, it becomes so hard, so hard to make room for interruptions. But make no mistake, now listen to me listen to this almost all interruptions are simply opportunities in disguise. Almost all interruptions are are opportunities in disguise. And 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 the Bible speaks to us about how we are supposed to live and and take care of our time Ephesians 5:15 says be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. See, you and I do not have the luxury of being consumed with our career or consumed with our hobbies or consumed with all kinds of other things, driven so hard. This this is not what we're called to as God's people. We're called to a life of faith, a life of trust, an adventure where we're living our lives for Him and being attentive to others. And in order to do that, man, we have to change the way our time works. The second problem is fear. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of potentially their bad influence in our lives, or we're afraid of the responsibility for someone else. Of course, of course, of course we're afraid of these things. All kinds of adventure always carry an element Of being afraid because because it's risky there are challenges all adventures carry this kind of risk but all incredible stories come from overcoming our fears all the incredible stories that we read in literature or in movies or we experience in our lives come from overcoming our fears and these fears are real I don't want to minimize them sometimes we're paralyzed by what we think other people think about us. I, I, I've read statistics about the Christians in Austin and how we are consumed. We, we kind of have a, a, a way of thinking about what the general public thinks of us. We have a complex about our reputation. And so we're afraid to tell somebody we're even a Christian. Man, it happens to me in my neighborhood. I mean, as as I've gone through this process, uh, I have I have um, you know met different neighbors, and, and I'm always waiting for the question. So, what do you do? And then I try to avoid that question as long as possible, but it always ends up coming out, and I say, I'm a pastor, and they either go like this: they go. Oh, and then start talking about somebody else because they don't want to even talk about that, uh, or they ask me more questions. But now I've come to a place with the neighbors in my neighborhood where they all know, and there is an interaction and an ease of dialogue. I ended up just a couple months ago talking to one of my neighbors for an hour and a half, just kind of over the fence in the uh, in the yard, talking about their history as a Catholic believer and the discouragement that they've experienced in their life in church. And and we were just talking about this and I was identifying things and we were having this really meaningful discussion. I believe those are seeds that God's gonna grow up over time. But we've gotta overcome our fears, because here's what Paul said, 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You have what it takes to be on this adventure. You have what it takes to take the risk. The third fear often comes from something called snootiness. (laughs) Snootiness, yes, it's a real word. We think, here's what, here's what happens. We're like, oh, I don't really enjoy my neighbors. <laughs> I don't really like them. They're kind of weird. They're awkward. Listen, you live in a city where the, the city motto is keep Austin weird. You're, we're going to have weird neighbors. All right? They, <laughs> they probably think you're weird. So here's the point. Don't let that keep you from them. Even if you, somehow they're distasteful to you or, or it's awkward. Look, here's what I want to say to you. Liking people. Is not a prerequisite for loving them. In fact, very often God calls us to love people who are not like us. That's the whole premise of the story of the Good Samaritan is loving people who are often different than us. And I know this is what the Bible teaches us. Jesus himself taught us in Luke 6, 35. You know what he said? He said, love your enemies. What? Love your enemies? And then he said, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Listen, we are called to be the kind of people that are counter-cultural. We live differently, we think differently. We love people who are often unlovely or who don't love us. And this, this is so important to understand that neighboring, the art of neighboring, it really is an art form, it's not a science. We're not talking about rocket science here. We're talking about something personal, something interpretational. It's not something we accidentally do. It's relational, it's redemptive, it's restorative. And we, we, have, to, we have to be willing to go on the adventure, to take the risk. It seems so intimidating sometimes, I know. It's intimidating to put ourselves out there. But here's the thing. When you're afraid of what to say, you're not sure what to say, you're not sure of what to do. If you'll just rely on the Holy Spirit, rely on God to give you you the courage to make a friend, to do something simple, because some of you are worried that that you'll come off like a sales pitch. I'm not talking about giving them a sales pitch for Christianity. I'm not talking about trying to get them saved by Easter. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is just becoming part of your community and loving them innocently, and and not coming with an ulterior motive, right? Like I've ch- I, I, I got to do something. I got I to get something to happen. That's not what we're doing. We're we're coming with an ultimate motive. And you know what the ultimate motive is? As God's people, the ultimate motive is to be a blessing to the world, to be a blessing to our neighbors. That's what Abraham was called to. That's what Jesus sent out his disciples to do. That's what he's called you and I to do, to just be a blessing, to bring restoration and redemption to the world and blessing people when you become a blessing it always leads to the question of why people are always going to be curious so i want i want you to think about how you can trust him living as a blessing trust god living as a blessing being being willing all i really want you to do <laughs> is be willing to get into the ride with your heavenly father and take the roller coaster adventure I want you to get in the cart with your Heavenly Father and let Him take you and let Him lead you. Wouldn't you rather be on an adventure with God than kind of living in a broken merry-go-round that is your life? God has so much He wants to do with you and me, so much we're stuck on the proverbial couch watching Netflix while there's a world out there of adventure just waiting for us. Wouldn't you rather be amazed at what God is doing in your neighborhood and in the people around you than being consumed with whether or not people will like you. Listen, the view from the sidelines, the view from the sidelines is so much different than the experience of being in the game. Get in the game. And so I want us to embrace a strategy together, all right? A strategy that is going to live in the life of our church. How to live the art of neighboring out in our lives and in our environments, all right? Here's a a quote from Pastor Dave Ferguson, brilliant guy, amazing author and leader. He said, from the very beginning, God's way of reaching and restoring the world has always been through a blessing strategy. So here's here's how we're gonna bless our neighbors. One chapel, here's what we're gonna do. As a church, and we're going to live this out over, over a long period of time. What we're looking for is behavioral change. Don't just drive home, hit the, hit the garage door opener, go inside and let the garage door go down. No, we're going we're to live, we're going to do something different. And, and we're going we're gonna to have faith to be on the adventure God has for us. So we're going to use the acronym BLESS. Here it is. BLESS. How to bless your neighbor. B is begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. Fill out this neighborhood prayer card that is in your seat, all right? Some of you, now some of you already have this, and I, I wanna highlight for you, some of you can fill this out better than you could last fall, and that is an incredible win. I, I want you to celebrate that. But if you didn't get a chance to get one of these or or, or if you've lost yours or it kind of just life kind of took over and you want to get back to it, I want you to take this home and I want you to hang it on your your refrigerator. I want you to fill it out, all the neighbors around you, and begin to name their names and begin to pray for them. Make sure you're meeting them. But, but, But here's the thing. Just start by praying for them in your private time every day. Pray, if you can pray for your neighbors by name, it will create a powerful thing in your own heart and God will create opportunities. L is listen to them. Listen to them. So many times we just want to talk, 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 talk. We want to preach at them or we want to s- tell them uh, about our experiences or we want to say, oh, I know just how you feel. I, I, you, you may not know how they feel. Listen more, talk less. If you will listen to them, you'll, you'll know what God wants you to say to them, if anything. You will understand how to respond to them if you'll listen to their story. Listen to what they have to say. Ask good questions about them. Ask about their lives. Ask about what's going on in their lives in a way that, that doesn't seem invasive, but is just willing to be interested and attentive. So many people are starving for someone to encourage them. And it can be as simple as just a conversation in the yard. E is eat with them. Get to a point where you've invited them over for dinner. It's an invitation. When you invite somebody over for dinner, for lunch, uh, or, or you do something together where you're eating outside, inviting them for a barbecue, there's something so good about that. It is an invitation to life and authenticity. It's the reality of living with people, and there's a communal aspect to eating. Eat with them. Something powerful happens when we gather at the table. And here's what I think. You know, we have the communion table when we come to church, but I think what should happen before they ever come to church, before they ever come to our table, they should come to your table first. Invite them to your table and, and eat with them. S is serve them serve them be attentive to their needs take care of of things that need to be taken care of in their yard or offer to do things to help them with their house sometimes the best best way to to get into their lives is to is to ask them for help and there's something people really love to do to help out others and so so but but find a way to serve them and remember actions speak louder than words Always ask permission first. Don't just do stuff in in, in their yard or cut their lawn or, or, or whatever. Make sure you're inquiring. Notice what's going on with their kids. Watch and see if they're stressed out, what's going on with their time. Be attentive.